The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. We've been in this, uh, it kicked off this series of messages last week, um, but we introduced you to these three words um, back in the winter of this year about belong, believe, become. Some years ago, the words we used to use around here were connect, grow, and serve. Some of you might remember seeing some of those around. And the truth is, that's our heart. We want you to come and to connect to God, to connect to one another, to, to meet Jesus, um, to surrender your life to him, to begin to build life with other people. We want that. We want you to grow, to grow in your faith, to know that, that God has more for you and that you can dig deeper in your understanding of him and uh, that he'll work in your life. And then we want, um, we want everyone to serve. Certainly we do. Um, and to begin to find your place in the things that God created you for. That really is our heart. But last summer, you'll remember, because it was our journey, we began a journey through the year that was somewhat un- unintended, that uh, the last Sunday in July of last summer, summer a year ago, um, we were going to launch a series of teaching on revival was the plan. And um, we were just going to be talking about the subject of revival, God bringing revival, all that stuff. We were going to teach on it. And we were in a meeting with the staff and uh, Nancy Ballantyne, um, who's in our prayer ministry here, was in that meeting. And uh, she was sharing a testimony and about church feeling like home. And, and then she said that she just really had this, this vision or whatever, that we really ought to have a welcome home sign on the property. And in that moment, Something just stirred in my heart, and I knew that I had a message, a word, for that coming Sunday. So we pushed off the teaching on revival a week, and we're going to do this message about home, about welcome home. Well, so we did that that week, and then when we got into staff meeting the next week, we were like, man, there's more in this. There's more the Lord wants to say. So we did it the next week and pushed revival off another week, and then we did it another week, and then pushed the revival teaching off another week. All the way to sometime late October, we, the Lord just would not leave us alone about this idea. And it shifted some things for us as a church. And uh, just the heart of who we are, what church is supposed to be. And in September of last year, I had been invited to speak at the uh, Dare Challenge was having a tent revival down in Wanchis. And I mean, that's good old-fashioned revival when you got a tent, Right. Those of us who remember old tent revivals or all, all so, uh, sawdust revivals for us old Methodist folks. And uh, out there in the sawdust and benches and picnics and fried chicken and whatever. And when we think about revival, often we'll get a mindset of we're going to have a guest speaker of some sort that's going to come in and kind of rally everybody up a little bit, right? They're going to be kind of a, kind of a rock star, hot dog kind of speaker is going to come in and get everybody excited, as opposed to the normal, maybe boring speaker they get every week, um, right? Or, and we have special music and ministry time, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But as I got invited to speak at a revival, and I knew that we had been pushing off the teaching on revival, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go talk about some revival stuff with these guys. But the Lord would not leave me alone about the home concept. 
It was just still stirring in my heart. It's like, well, you know, at the end of the day, you want to do what God says. It's always a good idea. And so I go to speak at this thing, and in the process of getting ready for it, the Lord began to deal with me, because I was belly aching a little bit, if I were to be honest, um, about what I was going to talk about, because it's a revival. And the Lord just unpacked for me that we had been teaching on revival. We were not pushing the teaching on revival off. That home is what revival looks like. That it's not about an event and a series of exciting nights to try to get people excited again until the next time we have revival. But that really it's about a process. It's a journey that we get invited into. And we're going to look a little bit um, later uh, as we chat this morning at Luke 15 for just a minute. And you remember the story of the prodigal son. We talked a good bit about it last fall. In that process of home where you see this son who is off on a journey in his life at a difficult place. He comes back home and really finds life because home is where you do life, right? I mean, sometimes we're a little bit different person in public, or we have to take some different roles. But at home, we kind of let our, our hair down, and that's where things really happen. And, and all the stains on your couch have a story, right? And you know the story. Other people just think the couch is dirty, even if they've never said it to you. But those, those stains have a story. Things happen there. Your children grow up. Their memories there. How many of you have lines or notches on a door that mark the growth of your children? right? That's where life happens. And revival is about coming alive. It's about life. It's what you've been invited into. It's a journey. It's a process. It's not an event. And so as I was praying about today and this series of messages we've been in where last week we talked about belong. Because these words of connect, grow, and serve in the process of home, the Lord began to deal with us about language of the home. And so those words became part of our process for us of belong, believe, and become, which is really the same idea. We want people to know that they were created to belong, that this place should be a place where people can come and be at home and to connect to God and connect to one another. But it's really belong is more about home language, right? We want to know that home is a place where we belong. So as we begin to talk about believe, the same idea is there. That we want people to grow in their belief, to believe the right things, to understand the right things about home. That also, just like what we've been discussing already, it's a journey. It's a process. So I was reminded as I was getting ready today about the trip to California and back. For those of you that don't know or are visiting today, we uh, had about uh, 15, 16 days where we uh, just got back two weeks ago or so where we drove our daughter out to California and dropped her and her car off at ministry school out there and then drove all the way back with our other two children in the car. Um, And it literally was the most time I think I have ever collectively spent with my entire family and my children. I mean, if I were to add up all the little moments and passing moments in the house together over the years, it would be a lot of time. But uninterrupted, un, you know, completely intentional, stuck together 24 hours a day, 15 and a half days was the trip there, trip back. Never being probably more than 30 feet from one another, 20, 24 hours a day for 15 and a half days. It is the most intentional, can't get away from another time we've spent together. And I told you last week or the week before, nobody died. Um, there was no bloodshed. Um, and there was only one argument on the trip, and it was between Lisa and I. It wasn't even the kids. 
The kids were awesome. They really were. And um, it was pretty incredible. You know that thing about that trip? I'll remember it for the rest of my life. I really will. There's a lot of passing moments I've had with my kids, but there's something about that journey together where that belonging together and also coming to a deeper understanding of what we know about one another. The laughter that we had that we shared, we laughed. My goodness, we laughed for days about a lot of stuff. Didn't laugh about any of you, promise. But we, uh, but we just laughed about so much. And we uh, got to go to the Grand Canyon. I mentioned to you guys, spent about three hours at the southern rim of the canyon. And and, uh, and, and we went there, and uh, Joseph and Olivia and I were up on the rail at the Little Southern. We're leaning over, and Joseph is spitting off the edge because uh, I wouldn't let him throw a rock. And, um, right, so he's going to spit over the, into the gorge. And um, Lisa and Victoria are about five feet back because they're like, we ain't doing it. We're just not getting up to the edge. And uh, our destination was Northern California. But that journey was not at all about the destination. The prize of that journey and the things we've discovered and the memories we have is because of the intentional time that we spend as a family because we belong together, we're family, and the memories that were made and the growth. I have had conversations with my children that I never had. I'm having deeper conversations with Victoria in particular that we've never had, and all of that was purchased from a journey. And what's amazing is my daughter, who just a few days prior, a week or so prior, would not go within five feet of the edge of the Grand Canyon, even though there's a rail and all of us are together and we could yank somebody back from the edge. I mean, she wouldn't even go close. Yesterday, with her small group that she's assigned to in ministry school, went to a high ropes course. And all day yesterday, I was getting some texts like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think so. Not happening, you know. She's terrified of heights. And so at the end of the service on Friday night, I'm down here talking with some folks at the altar, and uh, I get this text message, which, you know, now we can get some of these on our wrists if you have one of those watches. And so my wrist buzzes, which is weird to say that, right? And so I, uh, I, uh, I look, glance over at my watch, and it says, I've never been so terrified in my life. And so I was thinking for a minute, you know, that thing crosses your mind because I don't remember not thinking about the high ropes course at the moment because we're doing church. And I'm, I'm like, what's going on with my kid? Like, what's happening? And then just a second or so later, I get a next text message that says, but I did it. So just a week or so before on a journey, she was at this place. And a week later on her journey, she's doing something that she could have never done before. There's, it's a journey. It's a process. Now, with that thought, I want you to flip over to Philippians 1 with me. And we're going to um, read a little bit. It's about a process of growth. This thing about believe. We want you to know that you belong. You were created to belong. It's the longing of your heart. But when you come home, you're entering into a journey that's a process of, of growth. So over in Philippians um, chapter 1, I'm just going to read this together. Such an incredible um, passage of Scripture. Paul, who writes this, uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books in the New Testament, particularly because of the circumstances of this this letter here, um, that Paul finds himself in chains. He is in prison for the gospel, for preaching about Jesus. He's locked up, and he writes this book, and the core theme of this book is joy. 
He's in the difficult circumstances of his life, and he's talking about joy. So that speaks a lot to me sometimes as a reminder of when I'm in the difficult circumstances of my life, and I want to worship my circumstances with my complaining, instead of worshiping the Lord and letting joy rise in the middle of my difficult stuff. It's a great, incredible book. Pick up in um, verse 3 here. He's writing to these people that he loves from prison here. He says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And, whatever I, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. That first line in there, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God wants to carry it on. God wants to carry on. I want you to look at your neighbor, if you will, or someone close to you. And this is what I'd like you to do for me, if you would. Could you just determine if the person closest to you is breathing? If the person closest to you is not breathing, if you would raise your hand so we could send a prayer team member to you. And because uh, we do believe in resurrection in this joint. And we'll pray, all right? Hey, if you're breathing, you're not done. And if you're breathing, there's more. He who began the good work will carry it on to completion all the way to when we see Jesus face to face. Is what it's saying. So many of us get absolutely stuck in a religious rut. And there's an old phrase of a rut is just a grave with two open ends. Okay? And we get stuck there. And here's the deal. For so many people who have placed their faith in Christ, the cross is a parking lot. Instead of understanding that the cross is a doorway into a journey. And listen, the majesty, the gruesome glory of the cross of Jesus Christ, where he was sacrificed for my sin and your sin, and paid for it. And we can come to the cross of Jesus and place our faith in him, and his shed blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness, as the scripture says. It washes our sin away, and we're washed and made clean. But so many people park right there and never understand that it's a launching pad into a relationship where God wants to carry on a work all the way to the day of Christ Jesus. The cross is the starting point. 
not the place to get stuck. Now, the cross should never become old to us, which should produce worship and gratefulness in us. And it should, in worship, propel us forward into everything God has for us because it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. I mean, that's amazing that God would send his son to die for me and my mess so that I could have eternal life in relationship with him. But then he says he's got more. And if he's that good, then I ought to be propelled into wanting him to carry on that work. Now, here's the deal. If you're invited onto a journey and you refuse to go along with the journey, then you don't get there. You don't get to enjoy the journey. If I kind of bailed on riding in the car at a truck stop before we got to Flagstaff, Arizona, I was going to miss the opportunity to go to the southern rim of the Grand Canyon with my family. Right? I had to submit to where the journey was going and say, I'll go. But you got to understand, God wants your yes. If you will be willing to go, then he's the one that does the work. That's what that says. He's going to carry on the work. But we got to partner with him in the sense of being willing to go. Are, are we okay? Fine, sir? All right. So God's going to carry on a work. There's a process. It's important. You have next steps to take. God has more in store for you, uh, more for you to grow into, more about him to know, more he wants to pour into you. God wants to carry it on, and we have to yield to the work. Um, really interesting, somewhat side note here. The next verse or so down here, he talks about he holds them in his heart. So many of us, when we get to talking about church and meeting Christ and the cross and getting saved, we think about this. I'm going to church. And Paul's in prison saying, I hold you in my heart. The thing I want you to catch, this process that you're entered into is not a commitment to church attendance. It's not a commitment to church programs. It's not a, a commitment to, I've got to do a bunch of this stuff because that's what you do if you say you believe in Jesus because we've got to do that so God doesn't smite us with a hurricane or something, right? And uh, so that's what some people believe, even though it's hogwash. And so um, we'll get into that in a minute. And so... Right, and so people get into this religious rite and a religious rut of, of just routine and practice. This was never about this. Jesus did not, in Matthew 28, say, go into all the world and build a bunch of buildings and stuff people in them on Sundays. You've heard me say up here before that Jesus didn't die for church attendance. It was for people. It's always about people. God wanted a family. He wants all the children to come home. We want everyone to know that they were created to belong. God is a father who adopts children. That's what he wants. It's the desire of his heart. He thinks every one of you are incredible, and he gives everything for you to be able to come home. It's his heart. You have the invitation. It's always about people. And our whole desire here in what we do with church, uh, these programs, these family gatherings right here that we do, all the stuff we do is so that we on this journey can grow in our knowledge of him and in our love for people. All right, because I want you to look down at this next, next section here where he prays this prayer. And he says this in verse 9. This is my prayer. Now, when we think about prayer, I tuck my kids every, in my role. One of my roles in the house is I put my kids to bed every night. I tuck them in. And uh, our prayer always kind of opens the same way, but then we pray about all kinds of stuff. You know, it's just Jesus, bless my kids with sweet dreams and rest, protection through the night, and great day tomorrow. And then we pray about whatever we pray about. And then, or you might pray over your dinner, right? 
God is great, God is good. Let's thank him for our food, <laughs> right? Or as I told the first service this morning, my grandfather used to say, over the teeth and through the gums, look out stomach, here it comes, yay God. That's what he used to say. And every now and then when he would say amen, he would say a woman too. And so uh, that was my granddad. And um, prayer, this is not some perfunctory religious rite that he is saying here. When he says this is my prayer, he's saying this is my heart cry. Because I hold you in my heart, because I love you, this is the thing I desperately want for you to have from the Father. Listen to this. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight or discernment. Okay, And then he goes on to say so that you may be able to discern what is best may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. He's praying for them about the journey. That as you have met Christ, you've, been, you've encountered love. We see our church shirts that say met by love. You've encountered love himself. And what I want you to have being rooted in love, as the scripture says in another place, rooted and established or rooted and grounded in love, that you would have the more and the more. When we get on this journey of faith, you need to understand God's a good God. And that we can put our faith and trust in Him that the work that He wants to complete in us is good. That He is loving. That He is love itself. And then as we are rooted in that, and that's why we say yes, and that's why we go and we follow and we press deeper, then what's available to us is more and more. Depth of insight and knowledge. And that gives way for us to be able to make right decisions and to be able to build the life that God has created for us. The picture here is like a river. And we've seen a lot of flooding on the news. We've had a lot of flooding here. The picture here about abounding more and more is like a river rising to flood stage, finally spilling over its banks into the adjacent areas. Here's the thing about God, is that often we think we really kind of have a handle on it. That we kind of understand it, right? I've met Jesus, so I go to church. I go to church, I get encouraged. I had a tough week. I can go to church, feel a little better. Maybe I'll make this week, you know? And we'll throw up prayers when we're, you know, struggling. Or I told the first service, it's like, you know, we, we're people who pull the fire alarm. You know, the thing's on fire, we yank the fire alarm. It's Jesus, please help, right? God help me. God, please do this. God help me with this. When what God's invited us to is a whole lot more than that. That we're not a fire alarm people where God's just the thing we pull on the wall when everything's burning up. But that what we've been invited into is a God who wants us to be looking for him who rescues even in the midst of our best stuff. And often when everything is super successful and we're super comfortable, that's really when we need rescue most. Because we get comfortable and satisfied with ourselves and our life the way we want it. And what happens is we park instead of continue on the journey for the more depth of insight and knowledge about him that he wants to give us. Are we okay? I love it. It's awesome. Such a good word. All right. The word here for love is the word agape. That, that this love, in love, I want to bound, abounding in it, it's abounding in the unconditional love of God. Now this is important because Often, we get on our journey with God for different reasons. There's guilt, and there's shame, 
And we wind up pursuing the Lord, and it's based upon this performance thing where if we're good enough, then God will do this work in me, and maybe things will get better. And what happens is we have a wrong belief about God, which leads to a wrong belief about self, which leads to crazy wrong decisions and different things. And suddenly, instead of abounding in love, and more and more in this depth of insight so that we can make these decisions according to that, right? One after the other, we abound in fear and shame and guilt. So we abound in performance-based acceptance lifestyle. So we wind up constantly feeling like a failure and broken or God's mad or whatever. Right belief is paramount for us in our journey with the Lord. It's paramount. Paul says, my prayer that in love you will abound. That this journey that started with the greatest expression of love that has ever been, God so loved that he gave. No greater love have a man than he lay down his life for his friends. This expression of love for us that it started right there. When we get a hold of, man, well, when I was at my worst, God gave himself for me, right? Then how much more has he got beyond that? Oh, my goodness. And the scripture says that he's a giver of good gifts. I want you to look with me, if you will. Um, if you'll, um, before we do that, it's so funny. I did the same thing in the first service. When he goes down, he says this. He says, you know, this is my prayer, that your love will be abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Why? Well, here's the goal. Verse 11 says, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and the glory and the praise of God. So that when we know who our Father is and what he's like, this love, and we enter into this journey that he wants to take us on and complete a work in us, right? That we trust him because he's love and we follow him. Then we're abounding more and more of insight of who he is. And our belief is growing and our faith is growing. We have this depth of insight because of it's rooted in who this God is, who is amazing and loving. We make these decisions based on that. What happens? So we'll be filled. Filled. That word there means completely filled. All the way up, no room for anything else, completely filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's what it's going to produce in your life. Fruit. We like fruit. Yes? I like fruit. I like fruit too. But I'll tell you, what we're talking about here is not just something simple and some little analogy like that. When we talk about fruit, we're talking about what's produced out of the work of God in you. Man, that's healing. It's freedom. It's the shackles coming off, as we just talked about with the women's thing coming up. It is relationships restored, marriages restored, gifts rising up in you, God working in your life and through your life, the fruit of righteousness because of Jesus. Because we've been growing in our depth of insight, making, living life on that because we know how much we're loved by this Father who is amazing, Okay? Now, I want you to look, if you will, now in that thought at Romans chapter 3 with me, if you will. Um, you guys okay? Yeah. <laughs> All right. This has been so good to me over the last day or so, um, just or working some of this uh, with me and chatting with me about this. I've really been a wreck. The reason we want everyone to come home, 
and to belong. Okay? We want everyone to know that home is where they belong, right? When they come home through faith in Jesus Christ, they're part of this family here, then the goal would be for them to be filled with all of the fruit of righteousness. Look at uh, down at verse 22 of chapter 3 of Romans. It says this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between the Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Okay, so what we're looking at here is that righteousness is given to us through Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, we get righteousness. Now, you hear me say from time to time up here Hobbes phrases. I just grew up in this house. This is one of the phrases I've heard growing up. My whole life heard Dad say it a ton. Righteousness is about right relationships. It's what it's about. It's a churchy word, righteousness, like sanctification. It's, it's a churchy word that we throw out there, we just assume everybody knows, and people look at us like we got three heads, okay? Righteousness, really simply put, is about right relationships. It says it came by Jesus Christ. What does that mean? When Jesus died on the cross, he put us right with the Father. When we put our faith in Jesus, and that blood washes away our sin, we are put right with God. You've heard me say before, you can't get right with God. Now, I know it's a phrase we say, I need to get right with God, you need to get right with God. If we could get right with God, we wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus puts us right with the Father. So now this relationship is right. We're put in good standing with God, right standing. Well, what happens when we encounter right standing with God and we understand who he is and this love that he is and all that he wants to do and it's all good, then we can begin to see ourselves as he sees us, not as we've seen ourselves. And what takes place in us with healing and the freedom that comes in that is we begin to be rightly related with ourselves. Being put right with God allows us to begin to be right with ourselves. And you know what happens when you get right with yourself because you're right with God? is you can begin to be rightly related with all those around you. You aren't coming in with assumptions and judgments or fears because you already have approval and affection from God. You're not trying to get it from other people. Righteousness is about right relationships, and it came through Christ Jesus. But our struggle then is with believing. It's believing the right things. That God really is loving Believing that God does have more. I've shared some of this story before. I have a good friend um, over the years. Uh, his name's Brian, who was um, a director at camp, some youth camps for us some years ago. And uh, Brian's story in life was growing up, he had an older sibling who was kind of the, uh, uh, the golden child in the family. And uh, his, uh, the relationship in the house, um, you know, was not great as a family unit. And the father was very comparative and would always say to Brian, related to why can't you be as good as your brother? You know, why can't you do as good? Brian, you know, was not as good in school. Older brother is a straight A student, big athlete. And always this comparative thing was going on. And the phrase that Brian heard his whole life growing up was, you don't have the sense that God gave a peanut is what his father said to him growing up. Well, it's interesting that as Brian got older and his behavior began to degrade and his grades got worse and he's a poor student um, through school, he barely graduates high school 
His father knew some people on the board at a college here in North Carolina, and um, he pulled some strings with people he knew and got Brian into college on a probationary status into college. And, um, and so Brian, you know, was doing how he was doing in school, which was not well, and it's during his first semester. And he ran into a professor uh, on campus one day who was a professor in a class he was in, and they were just chit-chatting. And the professors, they're talking about, you know, what's going to be your major and what you're studying and all this. And, and Brian just really indicated, I don't know, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to be here long anyway because I'm not a good student, I, you know, I won't make it in school. And so the professor said, I'd like you to come by the office, if you would, and I'd like to give you a test. And Brian said, I fail tests. And so he said, he goes, no, 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 it's not that kind of test. And, um, and so Brian goes by this office, he takes his test, and uh, it was an IQ test. And then Brian goes back to his dorm room. A few, some days later, a few days later, he gets a call from this professor. It's before cell phones. And this guy is sobbing on the end of the phone. He's all broke up. And Brian says, he's my goodness, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. So he goes running across campus uh, to this professor's office. And when he comes into his office, he finds a professor laying over the top of his desk and he's crying. And uh, Brian's like, what is going on? You know, what's happening? Are you okay? And the professor looks up and says, we failed you, is what he said. And Brian's like, I know. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and uh, I love it. I love it when he told that. He's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, no, 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 no. We as people have failed you your whole life. He said, you know, and he shoves the, the test over him, whatever point, and it's a genius level IQ. I don't remember what the number was. And he said, all your life you've been told you were this, so that's what you did. But look at this, you know. Brian went on to become the, the valedictorian of his class at school. Believing the lie, believing wrong things will control your journey. So instead of, because of love, abounding more and more and depth of insight and, 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 and discernment because of the Lord and how good he is, which leads to better life decisions, which leads to the fruit of all right relationships in Christ, You wind up abounding more and more in shame and fear-based decision-making, which leads to really poor decisions, which leads to more shame and brokenness and fear, and you wind up being full of the fruit of unrighteousness, broken relationships. It is paramount that we believe the right things. We need to believe what's right about God so that we in turn can believe what God says about us. And that allows us to begin to stop making judgments in a, you know, of other people who are just on a journey all around us. And we can begin to believe the right things for other people so that they too can discover and get on the journey we've been on. Um, over in Luke 15, um, we're just going to touch on a, a part of this passage. is the story of the, the prodigal son. And uh, we talked about this a lot last fall. And uh, if you remember the story in the Bible, it's Jesus' story. It's in red. Um, (laughs) They're his words um, that he tells. And in the story, he lays out there are two sons and a dad. And the one son asks his father for his inheritance, which is basically telling his dad, you're dead to me because, right, you don't get your inheritance until somebody dies. So he looks at his dad and says, give me my money that's coming to me when you die. He's telling his dad, you're dead to me. And he goes off to a far country abandons home, abandons family, goes off to a far country, spends and squanders all of his inheritance. All of it. 
And uh, in that process, uh, he finds himself in a pig pen because he's destitute. Now, Jesus being a Jewish man, speaking to Jewish people at the time, would have been horrified at this analogy or this story because for them, pigs were unclean animals ceremonially and, and so forth. And so they didn't eat. And so for them, they're like, man, you don't get any lower than that. Like that's the most awful place they would have thought. Like, holy cow, that's bad. And so he, in the pig pen, the son makes this decision here. He goes, well, at least there's food and stuff back at dad's house. And maybe if I just go back and let him know I'm not even worthy to be his kid anymore, maybe he'll take me back as a slave or as a servant. So I want you to look at this right here down in, down in verse 17 of Luke 15. It says this, when he came to his senses, he said, or came to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like the one of your, one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. In other words, he pulled the fire alarm, <laughs> right? So well, I'm going to go home. But I want you to look at this. When he went home, he had wrong belief. Now he was going home. He had wrong belief. My dad's not going to want me because of what I've done. I'm not worthy to even be his kid anymore. I'll just be a slave. Do you know how many people in our churches are that? Some of you sitting here today going, well, I, you know, I, I don't know that God would really love me for what I've done. But maybe if I do enough good stuff, he'll be okay with me. Maybe if I just get my, how many people have said to me over the years, McKenna actually um, mentioned it, our youth ministry assistant mentioned it uh, uh, a, uh, two Fridays ago about somebody she was talking to about saying, well, when, I'm, when, I, you know, when I get my stuff together, I'll come to church. How many people live a performance-based acceptance life because a wrong perception of the Father, which gives them a wrong perception of who they truly are or could be in Christ. Because when this dude gets on the road home, what do we find? The Father had been waiting for him all along, runs out on the road to greet him, kisses him, gives him his robe, his ring, shoes, parades him back home, throws a party for the guy and says, my son, who is dead, is now alive. Right belief. If he had had right belief about his father in the first place, he wouldn't have left. Because he knew that what all the father had was already his. If he had right belief about himself, he wouldn't be out there doing things that he thinks are all of what he wants to do, but really are just going to land him in a destitute, broken place. Right belief about God Right belief about self. So many see the father like the prodigal son. He'll reject me. He doesn't want me. So many see God as mean or vengeful. But the scripture tells us what God is really like in some simple passages. God so loved the world that he gave. Right? Uh, how about in Romans 5? God just demonstrated his own love for, the, for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies with God, Christ died for us. God was doing stuff for us long before we even called his name. So many people see themselves like the prodigal son, that I'm not worthy, I'll be a servant, I'll work for God's approval. So many will see themselves as entitled or comfortable is another one. Our Roman passages here show us what our lives cost God. 
The wages of sin is death. We aren't owed anything. We're just wanted. None of us are good enough. He just loves and wants us home. So it's crucial that we learn to believe what God says about himself and about us. And I know that he's good. I know that God's a rewarder of those who seek him, that he's loving, he's kind, he's for you, he's not against you, that when we approach him wholeheartedly without fear, that he just embraces us. Closeness to God is what it's offered to us. Not all the answers. Not at all figured out. See, we want it all figured out. We want all the answers. We want to know everything. But see, that insight and depth of knowledge is about knowing him more. It's not about knowing it all. The life that we live is about closeness and flows out of closeness with God or it flows out of closeness with yourself. Um, if I get the worship team to come on, um, I, when I was, uh, some of you may know, I, I was one of those guys who barely graduated high school <laughs> um, as well. But uh, dad always talked nice to me growing up though. Um, and uh, he did, and loved on me. But I was, believe it or not, uh, I was a teacher in middle school um, for about six years at a Christian school. I taught school, and being one of two men on staff, um, I uh, we were pulled for everything, right? I mean, they asked me to coach basketball, and uh, we would plunge toilets, move cabinets as well as whatever our, our job was in the school, all of that. Well, one of the things that would happen is they needed male chaperones for field trips, which was cool. And every year, the eighth grade class would go um, to, uh, to Washington, D.C. Um, on a field trip, and I was the chaperone. So one year on that trip, we were, if you've ever been to D.C., and you have the mall, as they call it, the grassy, big grassy area, and on one end is the Capitol building, and two, about 2.2 miles down the grassy area on the other side is the Washington Monument. Okay? And we were standing on the steps of the, of the Capitol building, look all the way down the mall, to the other end was the uh, Washington Monument. And I'm standing on the steps with some of the students, and they're sitting there like this. And they're squishing the Washington Monument between their fingers. You can even do it now. Like, you can look up here and get my head between your fingers. And you can, like, squish my head. Right? You ever had people do that? And people, like, did it with the eclipse. Did you see some people with the pictures of, like, the eclipse with it between their fingers? And, or, like, yeah. Those little perspective pictures. Thank you, John. That's awesome. And so they were doing that. They were squinting at it and looking at it. And then we walked down the steps, and we walked the 2.2 miles, stopped, had a little picnic in the middle, and, and went to the Washington Monument. And at that time, at the Washington Mon Monument, you could still get up close and touch it and get close to it. You may be able to do that now. But so some of the guys, one of them named Adam as well, particular kid in eighth grade, and I was up there with them. We were leaning against the side of the monument like this, and they were spreading their arms out. I was like looking up, and you can't even see the top of it when your face is that close, and you can't get your arms around it. And I kid you not, God spoke to me in such a big way. I mean, I was a wreck standing there. I told somebody between services, I, yes, I was there with the eighth grade boys, and I'm crying beside the Washington Monument in D.C. It's true, that did happen. God spoke to me, and this is what he said. He said, that's the journey with me. He said, you get started on this thing and you're standing on the steps and you're looking at this thing out here and you really do. You think you got it all figured out. You got it all right there. Got it in hand. I'm, I'm saved. I'm going to church. That's great. Nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, that's a good start. But then we start the journey, the long journey down to the monument and we're getting closer and closer. And the closer we get to the monument, it was bigger and bigger. 
until I find myself leaning up against it with my arms around it. I can't see over it, and I can't get my arms around it, but I can touch it. God has so much more for all of us, and we want it all figured out. We want all the answers, and all God wants you to do is grow in your belief about him. Grow in your belief about yourself. Now, that is why we gather for church. That's why we worship passionately the Lord. That's why we have classes here. It's why we have discipleship groups. We have opportunities for you to serve and impact other nations. It's not because we want to rope you into some program because we want to build a church and get a bunch of fannies and seats. It's because we want you to know him who is loved so you can grow more and more in depth of insight of who he is so as you make decisions throughout your life, you discover who, how he sees you and then you get to impact the lives of other people so that you can begin to hold people in your heart like Paul did. And you're so close and you can touch him. No, I don't have it all figured out either. There's all kinds of stuff in that book and about God that if you were to ask me, I say, I don't know. I ain't got a clue, but I know him. And I know his nature, and I may not understand it, but I know he's good. And I know that the work's not complete. Does that make sense to you guys this morning? Right belief about God, right belief about self. Don't be satisfied stuck in a parking lot staring at the cross. Well, allow the cross to launch you into this journey of more and more with him. Amen. Y'all stand with me. Well, I'm going to pray for you as Catherine comes, and she's got a couple things she's going to share with you as we get ready to open up some ministry time. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity this morning to share together. Father, I pray as we all just stay put, nobody moving here, Lord, that we really would take a moment to reflect what are the lies that we've been believing that are leading us to wrong places in our lives? Some of us think we don't have the sense that you gave a peanut. But you're looking at us and saying, you're beautiful without spot or blemish. I have purpose and destiny for you. I can't wait for you to embrace it and see it and how it all is going to work out. And you just want us to go, to go with you on this journey. So Father, I pray that we would take a long look at you today. That you are loving and that you are kind and that you are just and that you are faithful. And you are not what the world has said about you. And you are not what our circumstances try to tell us you are. But that you are here and you are present and you're available and you're working in us. So Father, in these next moments we have an opportunity to respond. I pray that part of that response will be a commitment to say yes to a journey. To grow in our belief. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.